Hi everybody, welcome to a special Mission Control. Um, we filmed this one on Sunday after, recorded this one on Sunday afternoon, so Aiden was at Yankee Stadium as we uh, salvaged a split, uh, winning 9-7. to uh, We're going to have a full episode tomorrow, Tuesday, where we talk to you about uh, State of the Astros, the rotation, the AL West, all of that. Um, but I went solo here over the weekend, and so what you're about to listen to is an interview that I did with Lindsay Singleton, um, the wife and longtime partner of AAA Sugarland first baseman John Singleton, uh, where we really go through her entire experience with John um, from meeting in high school through the minor leagues, through his first time with the Astros, out of baseball, back with Milwaukee, back here in the present tense. So. Uh, I think it's a great interview. I hope you listen to it. Um, we'll have our traditional fare uh, out for you tomorrow in advance of the three-game series in Baltimore. So uh, enjoy the interview. Welcome back to Mission Control, our Astros podcast. Uh, Aiden is away. He's actually at Yankee Stadium right now at the game uh, on Sunday. And I'm going to be joined here uh, in a moment by Lindsay Singleton. Uh, Astros fans know Lindsay's husband, John, well. Uh, he was acquired back in 2011 from the Phillies. Spent almost seven years in the organization, um, left the organization in 2018, left professional baseball for a while, uh, beginning in 2018. Uh, came back last year in the Milwaukee organization uh, and just over a month ago rejoined the Astros. He's been playing down in Sugarland, and those of you on Astros Twitter, I don't need to tell you, uh, has been absolutely mashing uh, with an OPS up near uh, 1,200. So certainly uh, lined up for a call-up, potentially. Um, but before we get into more about John, I want to welcome Lindsay to the program. And Lindsay, um, give us, obviously you've been with him for a long time now. Uh, you've been married, you have children together. Uh, how do you first go about meeting John? Give us a little bit of your journey together and how that starts. Um, probably my favorite story. So we met in high school, we went to rival high schools, uh, and then... I played softball. He played baseball, obviously. And within the league, all the baseball teams play at um, the Long Beach State Dirtbags facility, which is across the street from the high school I went to. So I remember just going to the game because Milliken was playing my school at the time. That's the school John went to was uh, Milliken. And I went and had a lot of mutual friends at the other school. And so I was sitting with one of my old friends who went there. And I remember watching him play, and I was so, like, enamored and curious on who he was just because I had kind of known everybody else on the other team for a while and so she told me a little bit about him and I asked her to introduce us and the whole time we were talking about him and she was kind of giving me his story this was our junior year her parents were sitting behind us you know I'd known her parents forever too so they were listening and then um the game is over I'm like waiting for her to introduce us and she like runs over to her boyfriend and John's coming out and I'm like trying to call her over and all of a sudden this guy behind me calls him over and it was her dad and he was like John this is Lindsay she hasn't stopped talking about you this whole game asking all these questions she thinks you're so cute all this stuff I turned so red I feel like I was like good game and ran away and then uh, later that night he got my phone number from our mutual friend we were kind of texting that summer and then uh, our senior year started kind of hanging out more dating a little bit. Um, and then I went to North Carolina to play college softball. He um, then 
went through the minor leagues and was playing a ton in North Carolina because they have all the low A ball teams there. So we got to hang out a lot and just really grow our relationship um, from there. And yeah. And people aren't aware of this, but John was drafted at 17. He was sort of a Mm -hmm. young senior in high school. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. he goes into the minors at 17. I believe he gets traded to Houston into our system at 19. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot more change than you'd expect. And of course there's big money potentially on the line. Um, What would you describe those early years of the relationship when you're in the low minors and you're not thinking like, Oh wow, this guy's going to make $300 million one day. You're thinking (laughs) it's it's very much one day to the next. And what was the sort of you're in college, right? You're playing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, college softball, Mm-hmm. Um, at, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I thought I had this up a minute ago, but, uh, sorry about that. Was it Charleston Southern? I went to North Carolina state for two years and then transferred to Charleston Southern two years. Yeah. Okay. So you're on your own journey and you're transferring yes. and he's being traded. Um, yeah. was he very optimistic? Were you hearing a lot of, you know, I'm going to be, you know, just a huge star in this game or was he much more humble day to day or was it a little bit of both? Um, he, the day that I met him, he's been the most humble man ever. And I always am like, you almost like wait for the other shooter drop because it's like, you're good, right? Like you have all these home runs and you're very talented and your coaches tell you you're great. Like everybody tells him, but he just is like, thanks. And then just continues on with his day kind of thing. He, he will never, um, kind of hype himself up to that extent um when we were young it was just fun like you get to go to all these like weird little cities and do these things and I'm such a traveler that even in the most podunk of small minor league towns I would like make him go do these very annoying things so we always just had a lot of fun especially being young and like no real you know like we don't have kids at the time we don't have we're just summer and I'm visiting and we're just here to, I'm here to watch him play. So that's pretty ideal then for a young yeah. couple in love, right? You're just, you're <laughs> seeing the country, but it's kind of low stakes, right? It's yeah, not, yeah. you're not feeling like, oh, wow, you know, you have to get hits tonight and everything's on the line. Oh, yeah, just, no. Does that ever change at some point as he's double A, triple A, you start reading about how Astros fans see him as the first baseman of the future. You know, we're thinking back around 2014, right before he's, you know, uh, if fans don't remember, he was one of the first players to ever sign a long-term deal mm-hmm. sort of as a condition of being called up where they, they wanted right. to lock in some years of team control. So he got a five-year contract with 10 million guaranteed the day he's called to the majors. And then there's some team options on it. It would have taken him seven or eight years, um, you know, to get through that contract and it could have paid Mm -hmm. 20, 25 million. As he's approaching that, is there any shift or do you feel like same John, same, you know, just trying to get hits today, trying to stay humble, listen to my coaches, or do you feel the pressure more than him? So talk to us a little bit as he gets close to the majors. I would say the, like, the first thing I really remember when it comes to um, realizing that this is closer than maybe I thought was when he got selected to play in the um, Futures game. 
that was like huge, right? It was at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, and it's like all these people in a in a real major league stadium. They're treating these guys like big leaguers. You see all these other um, big name minor league guys coming in. I remember Billy Hamilton. Everybody was like so up in arms about him. Um, a couple other guys I actually had met Will Myers through another mutual friend when I was in North Carolina, so I kind of knew him. Um, but yeah, that was like huge because I knew I knew some of those names and I knew how close they were. So I was like, wow, if John gets picked to play with them, then he must be good. And he did great. I think he got three hits that night. Um, I, in my mind, I remember when we looked back, it was like, oh, you could have even been like the MVP of that game if you've gotten home run instead or something like that, you know? Um, so yeah, just just that. Yeah, and, and going into those seasons, you know, the the prospect rankings that the fans all look at, he by 2013, he was one of the top 50 prospects in baseball by, you know, Baseball America and all those kinds of things. So it, it was definitely a time where it was for us as a fan, I know we were thinking, "Oh wow, this guy's just going to be a beast and he's going to come in here and he's going to be the first baseman of the future." And then of course you get sort of the first setback, which is so common for young players. You get called up He's only 22 years old. He's got the contract. Um, some people were critical, including some players. Um, I remember, I think Jared Cozart was one of them, who said that oh, it's no. bad. Oh, no, Jared loves John. Oh, was it Jared? I apologize. I'm going to look at um, – oh, it was Bud Norris. I apologize. It was yes. Bud Norris. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I apologize. If, it's okay. Jared Cozart came over in the trade from Philadelphia with John. Yes, um, yes. So it was Bud Norris who came out right after he signed the deal and he's called up it's first week or two in the majors and says it's bad for baseball that a young guy is giving up these years of control, right? The ability to go mm -hmm. through arbitration and, you know, capping his future earnings in this way. People were critical of the Astros as if they had sort of forced him to, you know, as a condition of playing in the majors, you, you have to take this deal or we're going to leave you in AAA. What were your memories of that time? Obviously, it's extremely exciting. He's in the major leagues. It's every you know young little leaguer's dream who's told he's got a future that you're going to play in the majors. Were there mixed emotions at the time? Was he just you know butt out of my business? It's my agent. It's my contract. I signed off on it. Or, or was there a sense of you know a, a negative cloud around it at that time? Best you can remember. I mean, I remember it very well. Um, so. I think it was disappointing to have players come out and speak against someone who hadn't even stepped foot, you know, on a major league field yet. Um, but at the same time, John was 21, 21 or 22. And he wasn't drafted in the first round. He wasn't given millions of dollars in the process. You know, he'd been playing for a couple of years. It's like, why not take guaranteed money? You know, that was kind of the thinking, and especially um, when you look at the sport of baseball and you look at these guys who are first-rounders, most of the time they do come up in very, like, prominent families who they can hold off on telling teams no or asking for bigger things or whatever. And it's like, we both come from very middle-class families, and you are a fool to turn that down. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, we've talked about that before where I think – People see players like Alex Bregman and Garrett Cole, and they don't realize like those are wealthier families where those guys mm -hmm. are going to be taken care of, even if they have an arm injury and don't quite 
fulfill their potential. They're, mm-hmm. they're, there's, there's property that's going to be inherited. They're going to be okay. Right, right, right. And so I, I think that's a big part of it. And so, um, so he comes up and I mean, is he happy to be up? Is he, is he feeling excited or is he feeling the pressure to perform right away because of the contract? Um, so with the contract, even though John was the one to sign, there were other players I was offered to, um, it was offered to George Springer. I think, I don't know if people knew that or not. Um, I'm sure they were offering a bunch of other guys and just seeing who was going to take it. Um, but John took it. And when he got up there, I would say, uh, for the newer Astros fans, they would be shocked, you know, that the Astros were terrible when he signed, you know what I mean? So it was like, the pressure really was, um, I think he looked so long-term, I'm 21, 22, and I'm going to make a lot of money because I'm going to be here for a long time because that is what's being told to me, right? Like I am the first baseman of the future. Um, and I remember the first day we got there and I was saying hi and, it was just like that buzz, right? The same buzz that when George came up, it was like so excited. It's happening finally. Like the, all the prospects are coming up. Um, and I remember I felt like the nervousness. And then on top of that, like he's playing the Angels, which is my favorite big league team ever. And so I was just excited because I was like, oh my gosh, uh, Mike Trout, Jared Weaver, like uh, Mike Sosha. Like I love Mike Sosha. And so... Um, that was like really exciting. And obviously his whole family was there and everything. So, and I think you could just tell if you watch that first game, like his swings, his plays, it was like, uh, and then once he hit the home run, it was like, okay, I think, I think I belong here. Um, but that being said, like I said before, he was on a very different Astros team, which didn't have a lot of guidance, just kind of had a lot of, we're just trying to get through the season until we can kind of rearrange things. And so I feel like he didn't get the best group to be around at the time. Yeah. And that year, 2014 is that season when he comes up, um, manager at the time is Bo Porter. He gets fired at the end of August, you know, and right as John had started to scuffle a bit, there's all kinds of drama going on around the team where Mm -hmm. their first round pick that year with the first overall pick didn't sign. Um, Brady Aiken because there was some elbow issue and the Astros pulled their offer and um, the Cardinals had hacked their database. There was all kinds of just negative publicity in the papers that year. Um, The previous year's first round pick, Mark Appel, was struggling in the minors and they were getting a lot of heat about that. Mm -hmm. And so my memory of it, and that was my first year here in Houston, is it just felt like, well, we have this really smart rebuild going on with these smart people, but it's kind of a mess right now. It's just not mm-hmm. working at all, and the publicity is all negative. Um, and so John finishes out that season in September, and big changes happen. A.J. Hinch comes in to manage. They start spending some money on free agents and, and trades. They bring in Evan Gaddis to be the D.H. the next year. So there's, there's going to be veterans in the mix. Um, and, and nothing's going to be handed to some of these younger players who came up, like you said, when it was just sort of we're getting through the season and we're just bringing up whatever young guys will take the contract. Yeah. So 2015 is a difficult year. Um, he comes up for about a couple months in the middle of the season. Um, and then I believe goes back down to AAA when they trade for Carlos Gomez right at the trade deadline. 
Um, and also AAA is in a new city that year. It goes from Oklahoma mm -hmm. City to Fresno out in California right. where you're from. So mm -hmm. what do you recall then in 15 and 16 as he's trying to get back to the majors? He's spending a lot of time in Fresno. Um, he's reasonably healthy. He's performing pretty well in AAA, but not getting called back. What was your mentality and his at the time during those, those next couple years? Um, so he, we were in Fresno and that part was kind of exciting because it's about a three hour drive from where we live. So we knew he'd be able to come home, you know, off days or people would be able to visit him more. Um, same manager, Tony DeFrancisco, which was a little bit deflating to be honest. Um, and also just, you had just called him up. He had such a short time, so messy, right? Like you said, they got, got rid of Bo before the season was even over. And it was just like so mixed. And then it's like, he's brand new. And now he's dealing with very old veterans, pitchers who were kind of like bullies, if I can, for lack of a better word, and just trying to navigate what it's like to even just be on the big stage. And then you go to spring training and you're not even going to make the opening day roster, even though you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm still 22, right? <laughs> I thought I was the future. Now all of a sudden plans have changed. Um, so there's a little bit of confusion because it's like, well, did I even get a real opportunity on a bad team? You know what I mean? Um, so it just felt like they had already moved on and it was like, well, that wasn't even really a chance. He didn't get a whole season, which is kind of, you know, I, I know I, I'm a little bit known for the social media, like Twitter stuff, but that is always my biggest argument is this man has not even been given a full season. He's never been on the opening day roster. Um, so a lot of it then started to get in his head, I think is when it really like kicked in was like, he thought he was on this path all of a sudden you're not and now you're in Fresno yeah and I can only imagine you're trying to be supportive of course because you talk about the social media stuff at the time is yeah you're living through knowing how hard he's worked and fans can't see that right we're not there on the backfields in spring training we just look at oh this guy was a top 50 prospect three years mm -hmm. ago and why didn't he come up the way you know Jordan Alvarez would come up three years later, just immediately mm -hmm. start hitting home runs. But of course, mm -hmm. you mentioned Mike Trout. Mike Trout had a disastrous time when he first got called up back in 2011. Mm -hmm. And he, he got sent back down and, you know, didn't get to come back up until the following season. And so it's very hard to get to the majors for the first time when people expect you to immediately bat in the middle of the order. And John mm -hmm. was hitting cleanup from the first few days he got here, right behind yeah. Springer right behind Altuve. I think it was right. Dexter Fowler and Altuve and Springer and him yeah. right away. So, so, okay, you're back in Fresno. He's starting to get frustrated. The team is starting to do better at the major league level. They get a wild card that first year, and they're kind of in yeah. the mix in 16. Is John looking at it as a sort of humbling experience or is he down? Is he questioning his ability or is he simply, man, I wish I could, you know, get more of a, of a, of a look up there. Um, you, know, so you, you have to look at that other side of it, right? You're dealing with how he's feeling and mm -hmm. do you think he's taking it personally or do you think he's, you know, okay, I'm going to go down and they want me to be more aggressive on off speed pitches and whatever. 
or, or is he questioning himself? Um, I think it comes, so he was a part of the 16 postseason for a little bit, right? Um, he got called up in September. And then I remember we flew to New York, they won that game. And then he was uh, there for the Kansas City series, but they basically told him, like, we don't need you anymore, you can go home, which in itself is sad if this team is going to go on some crazy run. Um, and then I think it just, uh, that was like another blow, right? Like, okay, now I'm back on this team. Oh, no, we don't really need you. Like, okay, well, now I'm not needed on this team. Um, and I remember, I don't remember too much of that off season. Well, yeah, of course I don't. Cause we had our daughter, <laughs> but, um, I remember he gained a lot of weight and didn't work out as much. And I couldn't put as much focus towards him, obviously, because I was pregnant and having a baby. And so I think um, that also added a lot of stress to him as far as like, well, now I have a kid, so I I have to make it now, right? Um, And I remember he showed up and they had... They had Tyler White. Is that when they had that Tyler was White? 16 is, I think they said that they were hoping John would win the first base job in spring training, and they yeah. they gave it to Tyler White right out yes. of camp. That's right. Yes, so that was, like, super hard for him because it was, like, that doesn't make sense. In his mind, it didn't make sense. And um, nothing on Tyler. He did great. And um, it was just one of those things, like, why do you guys keep trying to find a replacement when, like I said before, I haven't even gotten a real – full year to like figure it out so definitely a lot more in his mind about everything that was going on and so from there you know we're gonna get so it's a wonderful turnaround story coming here but um, <laughs> no, you know, okay. I get it. 2017 to me is probably obviously gets released in 18 but they send him down to corpus where he spends pretty much the full season back in double a where he had been Five years earlier, it was back in 2012 and 13 that he was mm-hmm. last in Corpus. Mm-hmm. And so that's back when he's 20 years old. Now by 2017, he's 25. He'll be 26 mm-hmm. that September. I can't even imagine how difficult it must be. Now he still has the contract. And so he's not making what a lot of these guys in Corpus are making at that time. Right. But it's got to be extremely difficult to see yourself like they can't even put me on the triple A roster here. And, you know, you have, as you said, you have a newborn at that point, you know, or a one year old now when he's in Corpus. Um, That had to be an extremely difficult season. And how do you view that? You know, looking back in hindsight, five years later, do you think he was um, supported at all at that time? Or or, or were they hoping that basically he's just going to flunk out of the organization and we're just going to let it happen um i remember so he had actually been in big league camp that year and he had been there for a while like kind of towards the end so we were even thinking okay well at least he's doing pretty good and um maybe you know we're probably going to go back to fresno and then i remember when he came back came back and he was like they're sending me to double a and it was just like if things weren't already getting deflating that was just like they, they then they don't want you right? Like, that's kind of what it had felt like. And then he goes there, and, like, I knew he was out of shape. I knew he had gained weight. But at the same time, he was still hitting home runs. He was still doing things. But now, he's doing with a lot of money in his pocket, and he's acting out, I would say, or depressed, or just, like, 
just doesn't care. How can you care? You feel like your organization sent you there to kind of rot. Um, so it was hard to like be there and be as supportive when it was like, dang, we can't, he never even got called up. He was there the whole year. Um, and then I remember. And by the way, he led double A, sorry, he he led double A in walks that year. He had a 376 on base. So he's still productive. He's still, you know, even, you know, you're saying he's depressed. He doesn't know what's happening in terms of what the organization thinks of him. He's still a professional hitter who is ahead of a lot of the guys who are actually playing in double A. So, right. right. Um, They win the World Series that year, which, of course, is a, you know, I I, I can't imagine. Now, I have to ask, Mm -hmm. did they give him a ring? No. Okay. So he's off the 40-man roster, I believe, at that point. And so Jim Crane is notorious for the fact that, like, you know, the part-time usher in the 400s is getting Mm -hmm. rings and stuff like that. Did you feel, okay, so you go into 2018 now. Are you feeling like we're done here? Or was it, were they communicating with you? Was there any sense that, like, this is a guy we at least try to, like, pump up a little bit? Uh, so I had gotten word that he had failed a drug test a little bit after midway through the season. And the only reason that he wasn't suspended immediately was because he was appealing it. And so I was very curious um, as to what had happened. And he was like, I, I have not. And I believe him, right? Because the other times that he had failed, he totally was like, yep, like, it, yeah, right. I'm just going to deal with the consequences. Now it was like, no. And I always have questions about that year and about everything that happened. This is like really the first time I'm telling someone this. Um, because I don't know if it's a coincidence that now you can kind of not pay him, right? Because now it's the 100 games, so now you're saving all this money. And it also happened to be the year that, you know, they got in trouble. And uh, when he was appealing, the minor league court or whoever it is that he bring that appeal to wouldn't listen to his case because he had failed before. So they weren't willing to hear him out to figure out what had happened. Um, It just seemed very sketchy to me because I know, like I said, John didn't lie the previous times. Why would he lie now? Yeah. And he was making $2 million that year. So just Mm -hmm. the math on a 100 game suspension, they're going to save 1.2, 1.3 million. And that's Um, a player. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, that pays about 20 front office salaries right there if you you know on terms of your like scouts and analysts and stuff so um things are toxic then at that point and and he's released mm-hmm. early in 2018 and so he asked this, for his release he asked for his release basically mm-hmm. that's enough. if you don't believe you tested positive then you, i don't see how you can go forward with people you can't trust right. so he's right. out of the organization and does not play professionally in 18 and 19 and then, of course, COVID in 2020 makes it pretty much impossible for non-major leaguers to play. And you know, the, there's no mm-hmm. minor league season, a lot of the independent leagues. Um, so there's a three-year gap there where he is not playing. And this is from the ages of 26 to 29. These are prime years where, frankly, if you're not cemented in the majors, people just write you off as, 
you know, maybe he'll go to Japan and make a million bucks, but that's pretty much yeah. the end of the road for this guy. Yeah. You're raising a daughter at that time, you know, a preschool mm -hmm. age daughter during those years. Um, what's his mindset? Is he finding happiness in your personal life, in your family life? Is he just viewing himself as a failure because of the baseball stuff? How is he feeling in those that, that two and a half to three year gap that he had? So those um, couple years were an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. I think the first year, it was kind of like, treat it like vacation, right? Like, yay, he's home, and this is so great. He gets to be home for the summer, and we can go to the fair, and um, we have passes to Disneyland. <laughs> he will tell you uh, there's like a little counter online that says how many times you went, and I looked, and I was like, we went to Disneyland 75 times this year, and he was like, that's so embarrassing, and I don't want to give Disneyland any more fun money. Um, so we did, like, just a lot of that stuff, which was great to for him to raise our daughter um, and not miss a lot of milestones. And then I just remember, though, like, I'm still such a big baseball fan, and now we had so many friends in the big leagues. I would always, like, want to watch games, and he couldn't. I could not have baseball on. And... Um, I remember getting a lot of questions from people about, like, what's John doing? Because we were just literally sitting at home doing nothing. And I'm like, I, I don't I don't know, because right now it's a very sensitive subject. And he's going to have to tell me when he's ready. Um, and then I think it just got to kind of a breaking point where it was like, we both were like, I, I don't know what else to do. Right? Like, emotionally... I was walking on eggshells around him because his frustration, but then like, okay, well then what do you want to do about it? And I kept kind of pushing him because I'm like, if you're not going to play, that's fine. But then we do need to move on. We can't sit in this limbo. We've been here for about a year. So then we started going to therapy. He started going by himself and then we started going together, which I would tell everybody that they should do. It's great. Um, and we really just, talk things out and he got to talk things out one-on-one um, -on -one and just figure out um, you know when he did fail like kind of the anxiety that came from that and you know, what is it does he want to continue even though he has that anxiety and and so then after a couple of months he was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go play and um, he got an offer from Mexico but that was 2020, so he showed up to spring training and then was there for about a week and a half and had to turn around and come back. Um, and then once he came back, he really, really focused on his health and working out, and he lost a ton of weight, and he worked really hard. And I will say the previous years, off-season was like vacation for him, right? Like he was always so burnt out. Now it was like, I can't do that to myself. I have to be... Um, strict I have to just keep like a very strict regimen to me working out how I eat all that stuff because it's just so much better for my mind like I have to clear my mind um, so then after that I remember he showed up to Mexico and they were like shocked because he had lost like 60 pounds and he did great and then uh, Quentin McCracken called from the Brewers who had been with the Astros yeah, and we'll get into the uh, Quint McCracken and the Brewers here in a second because you know, now we're in sort of the rising action of the great return because he goes to Mexico, and I don't want you to undersell it. He hit the shit out of the ball in Mexico. <laughs> I mean, he did. He hit 
321. His on-base percentage for the season was over 500. I, that's unheard of in baseball. And so it was very obvious that this guy has he has the it that he had when he was on the prospect rankings seven years earlier or whatever, that he's still crushing the ball. He's still, you know, drawing walks. If they don't throw him strikes, he takes his base. If they do, he hits a home run, which is the same thing. He always does at his best. Mm -hmm. And so that has to feel amazing for you to see him. I mean, you know, I I was married during the pandemic. Pandemic was hard. I still am, thankfully, but uh, the pandemic (laughs) was hard on couples. I mean, especially if you're talking about someone who's had professional setbacks leading into Mm -hmm. it and you're home and things are closed and it would have been very easy for him to fall into some bad habits as it was for a lot of us. And it sounds like he did the exact opposite. He used that time to turn his body around and to get himself in position to thrive. And then 2021 goes back to Mexico, as you said, crushes the ball And so now you get to spend the entire 2022 season. And for people who don't remember, Quinton McCracken had been um, a senior executive under the Jeff Lunau front office here, um, 2012 through 2017 or so. And then he moved on. Um, The GM in Milwaukee, David Stearns, at the time that John is signed, had been the assistant general manager here when John was first called up in 2014 and then in 2015. And so there's people in that front office who are aware of his journey when he was here in AA, AAA in Houston. And so it must have felt good that it wasn't just some random team taking a flyer. It was people who knew what he was put through here who said, wait a second, this guy can play, and we probably weren't fair to him four years, five years, six years ago. So he goes in there, has a very good year in Nashville. Talk to me about this now. He's in Nashville all of last season. I'm sure it felt a lot better than in Fresno and Corpus five years earlier. So what was it like for you? Your daughter now is old enough, right, that she kind of understands that daddy plays baseball. Um, How was it last season? Um, In the minors still, but with maybe a different feeling? Yeah. So, well, I will, I will just touch on Mexico really quick. Um, when he left here, I remember he had a lot of anxiety because it was like, what if I'm still not good, right? I just sat on my ass for three years. These guys like are great. They're still out there every single day. What if I just go over there and I'm totally like overwhelmed? So it was definitely a make or break season. And I remember um, the first couple days it took a while and I remember he told the coach like, don't play me yet. Like, let me get in there. And then once he did, it was amazing. They have great fans. They have great management. So we're really grateful to them. And then Q and Quentin McCracken, he never stopped calling me the whole time John didn't play. Probably every three to four months, he would call me, check on John, um, tell me that, you know, I will sign John when he's ready, but do not send him until he's ready. So he needs to lose weight. He needs to be agile. He needs to be the John that we know that he can be. And if not, you know, it's not going to be the best situation for him. And I totally agreed. So John always knew that there was always an offer there. Um, It was just about him wanting to put his best foot forward. And then same thing after he signed, I think we kind of still had that same anxiety because now you're getting back into affiliated baseball. Now it's been even longer. You know, you played in Mexico, but everybody puts that down. Now you're getting back into AAA um, with a new organization 
And I was really nervous because um, I talked about the manager in Fresno before and him and John just didn't have a great rapport. I honestly don't think that that manager has a great rapport with any of his players. Um, But John was so, so lucky to have Rick Sweet as his manager, who has been a minor league manager forever. (laughs) He is, he's old. I got to look at him as a grandfather, but he really, really cares about these guys as as men right as fathers as sons just everything and and so when we went to visit um John texted me like Rick wants to meet you and I was shocked because I had never even met the Tony D and he was John's manager for four years so I was like okay so I meet him and he just told me like call me whenever I'm here for you just whatever you need I'll do whatever I, I love your husband which made me feel so great. And then I know another conversation that he and John had had was just um, letting him know, like, I see you as a black man, right? Like I see that you are um, a minority in this sport and just know I'm always going to have your back. And so I don't think that you can go into a situation with much more confidence in what Rick was giving us going back. So that was just incredible. And, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I, I want to be careful here, but I, I, to the extent that you know, the league is less African-American than it's ever been at the major league level, at least I shouldn't say that it's ever been, but then it's been in the last 40, 45 years. Mm-hmm. And to what extent do you look at John's journey and some of the ways in which he's been written off and say, you know, if this had been a player who was not a racial minority, who had had some of these ups and downs, that there might have been a longer leash from, not from everybody necessarily, but from some people he came across along the way who you think might have been quicker. I certainly don't need you to name names, but do you think that that increased the the journey back and sort of the difficulty of that path back, at least in the eyes of some people he had to prove himself to? Oh, man. I mean, I'm in the same boat you are where you're like, you have to be so careful on what you say, right? But I think just the numbers speak for themselves as far as what races you see in, in, in the game now. But I mean, I I do think that if he was a first round pick who had been sheltered his whole life, family with a lot of money, um, that things would have gone differently. I think if you can, I don't know. Right. We don't know that, but that's... And, and I don't want to, I don't want to imply that, you know, it's because he's black that they right. were testing him or were, you know, quick to push him out of the mm-hmm. opportunities that he'd had. But certainly I think it's so good to have a manager who says, I'm going to acknowledge the elephant in the room to the extent that he's not just a man trying to get his career back. He's a black man trying to get mm-hmm. his career back. And I, right. I'm going to think a little bit about what that means as his manager instead of just filling out the lineup card and saying, hey, you had some good swings today. So mm-hmm. that's very comforting for you. And he goes out and has a great season last year where yeah, phenomenal. 24 home runs, 87 RBIs, um, again leads the league in walks. John has an unbelievable – he had 117 walks at Nashville last year. Mm-hmm. It's certainly, you know, it's one of these money ball ways of thinking. To the extent you talk to him about baseball, kind of a little lighter topic here, 
does he like walking more than most players? Like, does he take pride in the fact that I don't chase bad pitches? Or is it just the way he is in the box? Because there's always that, like, nature versus nurture argument, right? Are the guys who walk a lot like that, like, trying to draw walks? Or is it just the way their brain processes in a split second? So does he talk about that as part of his game? I think he is so talented, um when it comes to his approach, he's not going to stray from it. He knows his zone and he's going to stay in his zone. Even this year, it's been hard. He's had like some strikes that have with the new ABS system that have been like, "Mm, that probably isn't a real strike if we're being, you know, completely honest, but he's not, he's not gonna, that doesn't matter. He's not going to let it affect him. He's going to go up there with the same game plan. Um, And I honestly think, whenever the time comes, he's going to be the best hitting coach because he's just like, doesn't overthink things, but really sticks to who he is and kind of knows what his strength is. Yeah. So let's take that then into this season Um, comes back to Nashville. The Brewers are, and I'll let you talk about this in a second, but the Brewers are eager to retain him and bring him back. And he actually gets off to an even hotter start, higher average, you know, more power right away. And so take us through here, wondering if you're going to get the call and then getting the call and how amazing it must have felt here. Just to be clear, it had been seven and a half, almost eight seasons since he had been activated in the major leagues. And he's called up um, a little over a month into the season and comes up month and a half into the season, comes up in Milwaukee. How does he tell you? How do do you find out about it? How do you react? How does he react? So just – Take us through those first couple months there into the call. So I had our son. So John had gotten added to the 40 man in November. And then I had our son January 21st, which I believe the day before he was taken off the 40 man. So, you know, that's always fun, like finding out in the hospital that you got DFA'd and and they kind of called and they were like, we really want to keep you. And, And he just had really loved his time in the organization so far. So he decided to stay. Um, during that still off season though, you see certain moves being made that are a little bit familiar or remind you of when you were with the Astros before, like, Oh, well, you're still, now you're signing guys in my position. Right. But they're also not paying him a lot of money and they're paying these guys big money. So you can kind of see a little bit of writing on the wall goes into spring training. I, I guess so naively, I'm thinking he's going to play almost every single game at spring training because Rowdy Telez is with Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. Um, that was not the case. He maybe started two games and had to, like, back end a bunch of these games, which I was very irritated about because that's not how you treat a 31-year-old player. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how you treat, like, some of the newer guys. So that, to me, kind of indicated where they saw John go back to Nashville. That's all you can do. Put up numbers. Um, so he does. And I just remember seeing injuries and stuff like that and thinking, okay, well, they have to come up. And then they wouldn't. They'd sign someone new. And another injury or them not playing well or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, they have to come up now, which is the same thing I did when he was, you know, with the Astros forever ago. Um, and they didn't. And then I was watching his game on my computer and then he FaceTimed me because they were going into extra innings and I was like, why are you FaceTiming me? And he's like, why do you think? 
And so I was crying and I was just so proud of him. And um, I knew that Rick really made it special for him. And I know that all of his teammates at the time made it very special for him. Um, it was just one of those like redemption things where you just feel like so satisfied that you are good enough. But then it's like five minutes later, okay, now I have to perform right now he's going to Cincinnati, all that kind of stuff. Um, our daughter at the time was finishing school. So I didn't want to leave here because he's like, no, it's fine. Just wait till she's done with school. And so she has her kindergarten graduation. He's getting all this media attention. Um, we get there and then he's DFA the next day. So a roller coaster, but in the big picture, an unbelievable story, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's your own life, so I don't know how much you can zoom out of it, right, and look at sort yeah. of, but you, you go back to 2017, 2018, to have a guy who's 26 years old, whose organization puts him in double A and, you know, tests him and claims it's positive and he asks for his release and loses a million dollars and sits home for three years and the first two or year and a half, I guess he's really low. And the odds that that guy is going to get back to the major leagues are, you know, unbelievably small. I mean, well under one in a hundred that a player like that could be realistically going from an independent league to a minor league deal to the majors. How did he take it? Do you, did he, was there a sense of accomplishment from him? I mean, you've said he's always humble. He's one day at a time. Did he have a moment, and even since then, I know he's in our organization here in Houston now, and he hasn't been in the majors again yet, although perhaps by the time you're listening to this, we've gotten rid of some <laughs> the dead weight on the bench and brought John back up. But in all seriousness, has he had a time to reflect and say, yeah, I did that. You know, I, I, I stuck with it, and I did that. And that's a lesson for my kids and, 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 and younger players. And like you said, I saw the reaction you know, it kind of went viral a little bit, and there was articles. Some of those guys in Nashville, it was like they had gotten called up. They were so proud mm-hmm. of him, you know, the teammates. Has he let it hit him yet that, like, I did something that I should really be proud of? Um, I don't think not yet because in his mind, he has – there's still something to be accomplished, right? You set, like, these things, these markers that you want to hit – but until you have that big deal, until you show everybody who you are as a player, um, I think you still kind of keep your head down and just look ahead and keep working. Um, and I get it because, like I said, when I played college softball, like I totally get it, right? You're trying to do something and now you're doing something that, like you said, almost no one can do. Um, so... It was great. I think down the road, we'll be able to talk to our kids about it. My dad talks to me all the time. He was a walk-on at Nebraska for football, and then he ended up getting drafted for the LA Raiders. So I heard that story my whole life growing up. So I'm sure that'll be a story that they hear their whole lives when they're like struggling with whatever. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah. Yeah, I've got to think the first time, you know, your daughter has a spelling test that she misses some words on or whatever, and she's like, I just can't spell, Dad. And it's kind of like, well, let me tell you something. I was told I I couldn't play baseball anymore. Right, right. They sent my ass to double A. And so I I think that's a 
as a father myself of, of three young kids, you want to be able to model perseverance other than just mm -hmm. like trying to pump them up just because you're their dad. So I think he's got something that he really can use. Um, all right, so let's go to the present now. Um, you know, I, mean, I, I have one last question for you after this, but a second to last question. What are your hopes right now? How are you feeling about things? Um, what do you want Astros fans to know about John as they see him, you know, performing in AAA? I mean, do you hope there's a future here? Do you want to be back and, and write the sort of ultimate redemption arc right where it where it was in, you know, five to ten years ago? Um, so actually, fun fact, when John got called up, that was the anniversary of the date that he had gotten called up with the Astros. So it was like, you can't write this, right? Like, even the Brewers probably didn't even know that. Um, and even though it was, like, a great situation I think they didn't look at him long term at all and so when we had gotten the call from our good friend Cedric who works very close with um the owner of the Astros Jim Crane and he had called and was like hey guess what we want you guys back it was kind of like well wow even though we're leaving this team that we have spent some time with and we're very close with their AAA program and forever in debt to them because they have the best fans ever. Um, but, you know, it, it does feel like, okay, now this journey is continuing down the right path because we're still going back to people who know him. Um, I know that Cedric had talked to Dana Brown and I know that there were some other guys who have continued to be uh, involved with the Astros that had talked to Dana about John. So that feels good. I John is like the biggest uh, Barry Bonds fan and so I just think it would be incredible for him to get opportunity to play for Dusty Baker I think uh, I think Dusty would see John and you know uh, see a young black man an older black man and be able to relate on things that none of us would really get um, so that is one of my hopes is that he does get the opportunity yeah, and Dusty has long been known as someone who advocates um, for African-Americans, not just at the major league level, but youth sports, things like that, and, and wanting that pipeline. And you know, we currently have an outfielder, Corey Jolks, who had never gotten mm -hmm. an opportunity, um, you know, 27 years old, still in AAA. And Dusty not only put him on the uh, opening day roster, but he's been here throughout. So um, now zooming out for a minute, um, I, I want to talk to the last question here. You've had a daughter um, and now a son, and so mm -hmm. you have two children, and you've been through this minor league independent ball, all of the different things. Minor league players have unionized in the past year. There's been a lot of talk about the living conditions, the wages, the nutrition, all of this stuff. John was able to, once he got called up the first time, bypass some of that because of the long-term contract that he signed. What do you think changes need to be made that maybe people don't know about? But do you feel like families are well supported by pro baseball? There's a lot of guys in the minors with wives and young children, girlfriends and young children. Um, is Major League Baseball, which now has to collectively bargain with the minor leaguers as well, are there things they can do that maybe don't cost a gazillion dollars, but that are common sense things that are not being done? Just give us a little bit of your view of how minor league baseball operates 
for families? Is, is there more that can be done there? Um, I will say that within the time that we had left baseball and came back, a lot had changed um, as far as like now they, if you make under a certain amount per month, they pay for your living, which is great. Um, There's a few other things, which I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. Like things are so different now. Well, I mean, even marijuana now isn't being tested for, right? Like that was the whole, that was the whole thing. If only you could just time travel 10, 12 <laughs> years in the past. That was, that was the whole thing. And now all of a sudden we don't, we don't care because you have this huge sponsorship from Charlotte's web. So now it's off the table, but whatever. Um, so that was another big deal. Uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job from what I can tell. We, have to only visit now, like I said, because my daughter goes to school and our home base is in Orange County. But um, when we visit other fields, I'll be visiting a lot of, if he stays in AAA, I'll be visiting a lot of away games because it's closer for us to fly. So we were just in Vegas. Um, everybody's great. I guess it would be nice to like, maybe this is asking too much, but even just to have a suite every game and just be able to walk up, they don't have that. And I'm like, we're, it's 110 in Las Vegas. You guys don't have anywhere for us to go. You know what I mean? And that's also another reason that's kind of keeping us from going to Sugarland and visiting is it's so hot. We have a baby and you know, it's like game to game figuring out if this can be done. Um, I would say that I would say, I think the food it would be great if the food was more consistent. I know where he's at now uh, in Sugarland, they have pretty good food, but like you just literally never know what you're going to get. And so that part kind of sucks when you're like, oh, I have fried chicken, but I wish I could just have like a chicken salad and a shake. But like I said, Sugarland's been great. Yeah, I mean, it's in the best interest of organizations, you would think, to get the competitive advantage of having, like, nutritionally optimized players um, in terms of an investment. It's wild to think guys are, like, you know, getting 20-piece nuggets in the McDonald's drive through and then the team doesn't want to, like, pay to have players with healthier stuff in their body. So, right. Um, so that is going to do it for uh, our segment today. Um, certainly, if John makes it up to the majors, um, you know, we, we'd love to have you back on to talk about that or have John on at some point. Yeah. But thank you so much because I, I know a lot of this stuff you might have not talked about in full. It's just been an amazing 12 years of highs and lows since, you know, he got traded to Houston in 2011. Um, you from the top of the prospect lists and the futures game to out of baseball to back to the majors. Uh, best of luck to your family, Lindsay. Best of luck to John. And if it means anything to you, a large percentage of the fan base is pretty much, why have we not called Singleton up yet? What is going on here? So I'll, I won't force you to comment on that. I don't want to get you in trouble because obviously. No, no, no. no, I appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. I know everybody is totally when I see certain things, I'm like, your opinion is valid. I get it. As long as it's the truth. Right. The other day I saw someone like he's had so many opportunities and so many teams. I'm like two and one team was with 11 games. Okay. Can we just, he just reached a year of service time when he got called up, which is like blows my mind for how long we've been doing this. So um, I'm always just super grateful for anyone that takes the time to talk to us, cheer John on because at the end of the day, it's entertainment. It's hard to remember that, but this is supposed to be fun.
Thank you, Lindsay. Couldn't agree more. And we hope to hear from you again real soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.